lie in the subtle and nuanced ways we display our true intentions and allow ourselves to be guided forward. Welcome back to the ravine, Explorations in Atonal Fish. This is episode four. My name is Brian Brinkman, your humble host, your co-pilot, your comrade in this journey through the hazy and mysterious terrain of fish at their most experimental, and their deepest of communicative insights, and then their most cosmic of journeys. Our first segment highlighted the dichotomy of Paige McConnell's keyboard wizardry. As with each piece from tonight's show, the work of Mr. McConnell will be in preeminent focus in this episode. This is the first in an ongoing series within this show, where in which we'll focus on the overall impact of one musician within the larger jams of fish history. From the watery chill of Darien Lakes, New York, we heard Drowned from September 14th, 2000. It's here that we hear Paige fill the melodic holes within Trey's soundscape playing and Fishman's otherworldly drumming. Complementing Trey's volume swells and spacious chordal fills, Paige begins the jam segment on the Baby Grand before transitioning to the synth. It's here his presence is felt clearest, as the jam opens like dawn, allowing Mike and Fish to push the jam into a new, focused, and catatonically rhythmic direction. Moving back five years in time, we hear a completely different band, Capping off their greatest year as a touring band, it's the infectious grooves of the December 31st, 1995 Runaway Gym that highlights Page next. One of the year's centerpiece jam vehicles, Page here pushes through the swarm of noise and rhythm to showcase his synths once more, in a jam that serves as a direct pathway to 1997. From here, we're going to jump ahead in time for two jams that showcase the late-era groove and keyboard brilliance of the chairman of the boards. Surprises in store, to be sure. These two jams display the lessons of 1997 to 2000 on the improvisational explorations of fish over the last 20 years. Thanks for tuning in. This is The Ravine.
I felt like a goon and didn't want to stick around. The whole thing might have been a mistake. I'd have to go someplace for the mentally ill and think about it. After saying that, I'd left something at the hotel. I stepped back outside onto Front Street and started walking. Put my head down against the drizzling rain. I wasn't planning on going back. If you have to lie, you should do it quickly and as well as you can. I started up the street. Maybe four or five or six blocks went by. And then I heard the sounds of a jazz combo playing up ahead. Walking past the door of a tiny bar, I looked in and saw that the musicians playing were playing at the opposite end of the room. It was raining, and there were few people inside. One of them was laughing at something. It looked like the last stop on the train to nowhere, and the air was filled with cigarette smoke. Something was calling to me to come in, and I entered. I walked along the long, narrow bar to where the jazz cats were playing in the back on a raised platform in front of a brick wall. I got within four feet of the stage and just stood there, against the bar, ordered a gin and tonic and faced the singer. An older man, he wore a mohair suit, flat cap with a little brim and a shiny necktie. The drummer had a rancher's sets on and the bassist and pianist were neatly dressed. They played jazz ballads, stuff like Time on My Hands and Gloomy Sunday. The singer reminded me of Big Billy Eckstein. He wasn't very forceful, but he didn't have to be. He was relaxed, but he sang with a natural power. Suddenly, and without warning, it was like the guy had opened a window to my soul. It was like he was saying, you should do it this way. All of a sudden, I understood something faster than I ever did before. I could feel how he worked at getting his power, what he was doing to get at it. I knew where the power was coming from, and it wasn't his voice, though the voice brought me sharply back to myself. I used to do this thing, I'm thinking. It was a long time ago, and it had been automatic. No one had ever taught me. This technique was so elemental, so simple, and I'd forgotten. It was like I'd forgotten how to button my own pants. I wondered if I could still do it. I wanted at least a chance to try. If I could do it in any way, get close to handling this technique, I could get off this marathon stunt ride. Returning to the dead's rehearsal hall as if nothing had happened, I picked it up where we had left off, couldn't wait to get started. Taking one of the songs that they wanted to do, seeing if I could sing it using the same method that the old singer had used. I had a premonition, something would happen. At first it was hard going, like drilling through a brick wall. All I did was taste the dust. But then miraculously, something internal came unhinged. In the beginning, all I could get out was a blood-choked, coughing grunt, and it blasted up from the bottom of my lower self, but it bypassed my brain. That had never happened before. It burned, but I was awake. The scheme wasn't sewed up too tight. Wouldn't need a lot of stitches, but I grasped the idea. I had to concentrate like mad because I was having to maneuver more than one stratagem at a time. But now I knew I could perform any of these songs without them having to be restricted to the way of the words. This was revelatory. I played these shows with the dead. I never had to think twice about it. Maybe they just dropped something in my drink, I can't say. But anything they wanted to do was fine with me. I had that old jazz singer to thank. Bob Dylan Chronicles Page 149-151 Over the last 20 years, two things have happened to directly impact Paige McConnell's heightened state of importance in Fish. First, the band's democratic focus of 1997-2000 has led to a more communal jamming, a conversational approach to improv which allowed him more space to be creative in the midst of the moment of conversations. Second, his rig has engulfed him. Adding keyboards seemingly every tour, Page has built a vast array of sounds and moods, textures, to add on-the-fly color to each jam. Resulting in a number of jams where Page takes center stage. We also hear in nearly every jam his impact being felt in how he shifts his bandmates, particularly Trey's direction. The first selection from this segment came from the summer of 2018 in San Francisco, Carolina. California. 
The BGCA Set Your Soul Free from July 25th, 2018. The most expansive take yet we've heard on the late period tray tune. It's Page's synths and clads that do most of the work in this jam, shifting the song from a wall of melodic sound to a groove-driven slice of Fall 97. Functioning as the foundation of the jam, Page adds ideas to Trey's playing, pushing him and his bandmates forward in an intentional piece of music that highlighted the very first week of tour. Next, we heard from The Seven Below from February 20th, 2003, the very first show that I ever attended. Through his clavinet, Page adds textures to the rhythmic struts of Trey and the late-night bops of Mike and Fish. The most accomplished take on the Round Room era track, this blossoms with ease, showcasing their stunning creativity in February of 2003. Our last segment of the episode dives back into the 1.0 era, and two jams that highlight the playfulness and joyful reverence we so often hear from Page's keys. First, the Susie Greenberg from November 13, 1986 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The first ever experimental take on the Fishman Joke Love song. We hear Page egg his bandmates on, much like the previous cut from Runaway Jim, though here with far more ideas cultivated as the band had already made the turn towards 1997. Finally, we hear the elation one must get from jamming with Page for 40 years. This long-forgotten back-porch boogie blues from May 20th, 1987 at the ranch in South Burlington, Vermont. A jam that highlights the torrid rage of Trey Anastasio. We hear Page, ever-present, prodding him forward and supporting his lead to round it out with force and power. Just four years into their career, we hear the interplay and melodic conversation the two would engage in over the next 30 years. This partnership would drive so much of the band's creativity as they evolved through arena rock to deep grooves and zones through the recovery and resurgence of mid 3.0. While so often Trey gets the lead in the band's improvisation, each of these jams showcase the importance of Page's intuition to push creativity and outside-the-box thinking mid-jam. I want to thank you once again for keeping your dial set on the ravine. This was episode four. My name is Brian Brinkman, and I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Till next time. <laughs>